My name is Patricia Kathleen, and this podcast series will contain interviews I conduct with female and female-identified entrepreneurs, founders, co-founders, business owners, and industry gurus. These podcasts speak with women and women-identified individuals across all industries in order to shed light for those just getting into the entrepreneurial game as well as those deeply embedded within it. Histories, current companies, and lessons learned are explored in the conversations I have with these insightful and talented powerhouses. The series is designed to investigate a female and female-identified perspective in what has largely been a male-dominated industry in the USA to date. I look forward to contributing to the national dialogue about the long overdue change of women in American business arenas and in particular entrepreneurial roles. You can contact me via my media company website, wild.agency, that's W-I-L-D-E dot agency, or my personal website, patriciacathleen.com. Thanks for listening. Now let's start the conversation. everyone and welcome back. This is your host Patricia and today I am sitting down with Ashley Ammons. She is the co-founder and president at Mixtros. Welcome Ashley. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's good to speak with you. Before I get into a quick bio on Ashley, I want to give everyone a roadmap for today's podcast. It will follow the same trajectory as the majority of the podcast in this series. We'll first look at Ashley's academic background and early professional life. Then we'll turn our attention towards unpacking Mixtros. Um, We'll get into the logistics of who, what, when, where, why, and how, and then turn to the ethos and some of the philosophical structures of the company. Then we'll turn to the goals that Ashley has for the next three years with Mixed Tros regarding scaling, expansion, uh, expansion, brand analysis, and maybe some other more personal ones. And then we'll wrap the entire podcast up with advice that Ashley has looking for those to garner um, some knowledge from her history or um, also get involved in what she's doing, perhaps working in tandem with her. A quick bio on Ashley before I start peppering her with questions. Um, She's named to Entrepreneurs in Magazine inaugurals list of 100 powerful women in 2019. Carrie Schrader and Ashley Ammons are a dynamic mother-daughter duo in the new wave of entrepreneurs creating services to make work and play simpler and more satisfying. Without formal tech backgrounds, they've blazed trails in the male-dominated tech startup space with their company Mixtros, which increases engagement and collects data at gatherings. Following remarkable progress in 2017, Team Mixtros kicked off 2018 by joining Alabama's prestigious Velocity Accelerator and starring on an episode of A&E series Rooster and Butch. In May 2018, the duo was selected to pitch to AOL co-founder Steve Case during the Rise and Rest Tour stop in Birmingham, Alabama, and secured a $100,000 investment from Case's Revolution Fund. The team went on to close a $1 million round of funding, making them the 37th and 38th Black females to ever close a $1 million plus round of funding. So it's exciting. Ashley, I want to climb into Mixtros and kind of get into um, the ethos within that. But first, before we do that, um, anyone who's looking to kind of pop into their website and get more into in-depth information, you can Mixtros.com is the domain, M-I-X-T-R-O-Z.com. And before we begin all of that, 
Ashley, I'm wondering if you can walk us through a little bit of your academic background and your early professional life following that and before um, launching Mixed Rows. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for um, the overview. I'm excited to have this conversation. So I am from Cleveland, Ohio. I'm actually here right now in Cleveland. Um, and I went to um, undergrad in a small town in Ohio called Berea. It's about 15 minutes outside of Cleveland. Um, the school is called Baldwin Wallace University. It's a liberal, it's a private liberal arts um, college. It's really well known for musical theater, actually. We were the first college to get the rights to um, uh, the Phantom of the Opera. And Andrew Lloyd Webber actually came out to the school when they performed it, which was pretty awesome. So a lot of my classmates are on Broadway. I see them often during like the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Uh, <laughs> but I went to school for uh, broadcasting, mass communications, and public relations. So those are the degrees that I uh, graduated with. So my goal was to be a news anchor. That's where I thought I was going. But I ended up landing a an internship during my the like the the spring of my sophomore year and I became LeBron James first intern actually amazing I mean that's, that's yeah. it's such a crazy first internship was there any other connections for that did you I mean did you have connectors college professors people hooking you up with that or was it just a, a blind application so what's so crazy about this is you know this kind of feeds into why I'm so passionate about not just networking, but connecting with people, being able to connect with anyone, you know, agnostic of where they come from, what they look like, any of that. Like, I believe that everyone should be able to talk to anyone. And so the internship actually came from a random conversation between an upperclassman and myself. He and I looked nothing like one another. If you just looked at us on, if you just looked at us dead on, you'd be like, oh, there's no way that these people would vibe. But actually me and this classmate had a great conversation one night and he sent an email and about three weeks later, I was LeBron's intern. It's as simple as that. So I tell people all the time, that ability to be able to connect with people is so important because you never know who is going to open the LeBron door, let's call it, for you. Absolutely. That's a power networking, right? Blindly. That's or right. Just openly, I guess. That's amazing. So after your, how long did the internship last and what did you do after that? Yeah, so two and a half years in that internship, and it was such a cool time to be with LeBron because, you know, in Cleveland and, you know, in Ohio, he, I mean, he's such a huge deal. Like, he's such a huge deal. And it's funny, I was kind of nonchalant about the whole thing because I was just like, okay, I mean, he plays basketball, cool. Um, but, you know, just understanding how huge he actually is, the global appeal he actually has, you know, I was working on things like his marketing summit when he would bring the biggest executives from Coca-Cola and Nike to Akron, Ohio. I remember we had to do that summit at the Hilton. That was like the nicest hotel in Akron, Ohio, you know, so I mean, it was just very, <laughs> it was just very, very interesting. So after, um, after I graduated, I stayed on with LeBron about six months post-grad, and um, it's funny, I live with my aunt here in uh, Lorraine, Ohio, and I'm literally walking around her living room right now, um, and yeah. then um, I started job, job hunting in New York City. For whatever reason, I had always wanted to go to New York City. Like I was like, you know, I've spent the majority of my life in, um, you know, just smaller places in the burbs, and I was just ready for city life, and so 
I, um, I went on three different interviews and I would like basically save all my money and I would get, I would take one way, like I would buy like one way tickets back and forth from Cleveland to New York and I would go on the interview and then I would fly right back. And so I did that three times, third time was a charm. And so I got a job as an executive assistant. Um, the person that I was working for was quite extraordinary. Um, his name is Noah Tepperberg. You can certainly Google him. He owns a hospitality group. Uh, well, he part owns a hospitality group called Tao Group. Tao is a huge brand name. Um, in Las Vegas, at one point, it was the highest grossing restaurant in the United States. Yeah. And um, that's where I grew my career. I was with, you know, within Tao Group for about eight years. And over the course of that time, really in the first five years, I went from being an executive assistant to director of events over that company. Wow. That's an amazing ride. Did you, were you based out of New York City at that time? I was, yeah. So you've garnered this communications publications degree, and then you've turned into the intern for LeBron James and, and navigating that kind of high famous, high profile sport um, network, and then turning to Noah's kind of industry. And within five years of that going over events, it seems like you would have crawled into starting an, an event or um, like a, a marketing um, company. How did you come up with Mixtros? Yeah. So Mixtros is funny. It's just, you know, I think it was another step in life. Like I am very positive right now that I am doing my life's work, like as we speak. And I think everything before Mixtros was just getting me prepared for Mixtros. So the way that Mixtros came about was I was at a conference in 2014. Um, it was uh, a conference that was put on by Cosmopolitan Magazine. It was like their first in-person conference. They had a killer lineup of speakers, including um, Sarah Blakely. She was actually the keynote. She founded Spanx. And, um, you know, I was just sitting there listening to it all. And I was like, wow, this content is really great. But my my purpose for going to that, like spending my own personal money and going to that was to meet people in different industries. I was very well connected in like nightlife events, um, you know, spirits, that kind of deal. But I wanted more connections in like beauty and fashion. And so when it came time to network, the event organizer said, go up to someone with the same color dot on their name tag as you. And I found that to be so awkward because it was an all women's conference mostly and women unexplicably put their name tag on their boobs. Like that's where we put it. And then <laughs> you like, you like go up to a woman that you don't know. And you, you know, you look, you like try to take a close look at her breast area. And then you say, I'm blue, you're blue. Let's talk about it. That's so weird. And you know, yeah. at the time I was living in New York, I was, you know, too cool for school. And I was like, well, I'm not doing that. So I went to lunch by myself, which is completely normal. And I, uh, you know, I caught up on the news and whatever. But when I was speaking to my mom about that later, you know, she was asking about my experience and I told her and she was like, well, what a waste of money. She was like, what wasn't your purpose to go there and network? And I said, yeah, but it was awkward. And my mom and I had this conversation that kind of turned into like a four hour conversation. And by the end of it, we had come up with a very primitive idea for what would be mixtures. Yeah, and I love that because I think that I have not spoken with anyone who isn't kind of filled with, you know, this. I go to um, huge conferences and things like that, usually with the sole purpose of interviewing people, you know, for my media mm -hmm. company. And even I, you know, sometimes have this uh, 
moment and the idea that you know you're given dots or i think it was the early movement of we're at a conference to socialize and um not even just to market oneself but just to like you know connect with people and um people just get really shy even very loquacious people in those events you know we want our own mm -hmm. little circle to talk to and things like that so how long was it before that kind of fortuitous conversation with your mom until you launched so it was actually very quickly because on the same night my mom had had an experience as well that kind of just challenged her thoughts about how do people actually connect with one another while they're there um, and so that basically we came up with the idea on November 11th of 2014, continued to talk about it between November and December. When I came home for the holidays that December of 2014, you know, I was actually trying to be at home and like rest. I was I was going to see my parents who lived in Nashville, Tennessee at the time. And I was like trying to chill because for me, the top of the year is Back, like with the way my career was because you know right off the bat I was going to go to the Sundance Film Festival after that I would go to Grammys and after that I would go to Oscars to do activations so the top of the year was crazy and while I was home you know my mom and I we were really grinding out like first of all what is an app how do you get one produced like we had no tech background whatsoever but you know we tell entrepreneurs all the time Google will tell you everything you need to know. You need to be willing to spend the time to find it. Um, so that's what we did. We figured everything out via the University of Google. Yeah. And, um, you know, my mom, we, we realized while I was home that the CEF, which is the Consumer Electronics Show, it was happening in January of 2015. That's probably the biggest tech conference um, that's held in the U.S. annually. It's in Vegas. It's huge. And so my mom actually went there solo because I was working and my mom happened to be on sabbatical at the time. And she went there just to educate herself on technology because I would say both of us were very casual consumers of tech. Like we had iPhones and stuff, but you know, we were using them like bare minimum to text and whatnot. Certainly, yeah. you know, not knowing anything about building the back end of software and all of that. So that was really the first step, my mom going there. And it's so funny, um, as the story goes, my mom was at this conference and you have to imagine, you know, this is 2015, this is pre me too, us too, them too. There were no movements about people of color, women in tech, nothing like that. It just kind of was what it was. The mm -hmm. status quo was if you go to a tech conference, 90% of the people there will be white males in their 20s, 30s. Yep. And so my mom kind of felt like a fish underwater, out of water. You know, we are women of color, you know, obviously my mom is a smidge older than I am. So, you know, she's in that age demographic, all of that. And so she was sitting at a table. She went to a table and there were two drinks on the table. My mom was like, well, that's odd. Like who leaves drinks open on a table in 2015? So she just kind of <laughs> sat at that table. And then a bit later, and she was kind of thinking to herself at that point, I wish Mixtros existed today because I feel so awkward. You know, I don't know who to connect with here. Like no one here is really like me. And so later, these two gentlemen, uh, white guys, they come up and they're a bit, they're like in my mom's age group and they all start talking. And then after a while, my mom says to them, you know, why did you come to this table of all of the tables? And the two guys say, well, those were our drinks. Actually, you're at our table. <laughs> um, and yeah. those people have been our app developers since 2015 still. Oh, I love it.
It's such a brave, I can't even imagine in 2015, you know, just given who your mother was, but the idea of being a novice and going to like this Mecca, you know, center for the industry just to educate yourself is like learning how to swim in the deepest part of the ocean. I mean, it's really daunting. I mean, it is, but the thing about my mom that I love, and I'll tell I, I think I said this at where you and I actually met in person. Um, if you're looking for a co-founder, try a woman over 40, because women yeah. over 40 figure it out and they get stuff done. And I find them to be quite fearless. And so my mom, even to go to CES, she looked up, you know, the ticket cost to go to CES, you know, it's like crazy. It was like, you know, $1,400 or something for a ticket to CES. And my mom was like, well, I'm not paying $1,400 to go to this conference. And so she found the email address for one of the heads of CES. And she just cold emailed this person and just explained, you know, hello, my name is Kara Schrader. And, you know, I just came up with this idea. And, you know, I'm really trying to come out to see what's going on. And my, it was funny because at the time, my stepfather and I like both were like laughing at her. We were like, just pay the money, you know, just go, whatever. And the person emailed her back and gave her a free ticket, yeah. you know, and so it's just like all those things. It's like the willingness to ask and not be afraid if someone says no, because really when you ask the likelihood of someone saying yes, or at least opening a door, it's high, but you have to be vulnerable enough to put yourself out there for that. And I, I find my mom is so great at that. And I've learned from her so much in just watching her work. Yeah, I agree with you. And there is such strength in that vulnerability as well. You know, yeah. the shyness that kind of plagues a lot of, um, at least a lot of the female entrepreneurs and industry experts and founders, you know, seasoned people that have a, a reluctance to um, outsource or ask for help. It's, there's, there's mm -hmm. a great weakness in that as well as, you know, a drain of time and money. Um, as far as founding it, it was you and your mom. Was there anyone else brought on or there's just the two of you co-founding it? just the two of us co-founding it. So for the longest time, actually, uh, except for this past year, literally Mixed Rose was my mom, myself, and our dev team. <laughs> and the dev team consisted of two gentlemen met in Vegas at the 2015 CES convention? So yes, yeah, so they're actually based in El Dorado Hills, um, California. Um, Bill Rose is the name of the dev, our dev lead. I mean, and for all intents and purposes, he's our interim CTO. And um, the rest of our team is actually offshore. It's very interesting because in the digital age, you know, we've actually only met Bill like four or five times, like in person yeah. over the course of all of these years. But we're incredibly close to him, like close to his family and all that kind of thing now. Um, you know, so close that like when he visited Nashville, he actually stayed at my family home. So it's just extraordinary what work you can get done with all of the tools we have at our disposal. Like I look at entrepreneurs like Sarah Blakely, who did all of this, like, you know, early 2000s, they didn't have all this software at their disposal. So I'm like, hats off to y'all, like having to go to like a library and, you know, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, for us, absolutely. you know, everything is, you know, everything is able to be done digitally, which is pretty awesome. It is. Entrepreneurship has really changed. It's a global environment if you're willing to, as you and your, your, you, you and your mother did, like jump in and really um, suss it out. And it's awesome because I think that really educating yourself before you do bring on a team, you know, knowing how um, all of the finances are working in your business doesn't mean you necessarily have to be the bookkeeper 24-7, but 
being mm. naive to any of those facets is um, ludicrous. And there, I think there are a lot of founders out there of tech companies that came up with the idea and have nothing about idea about their back end. They couldn't tell you, you know, how things are being written or why. So I think it's awesome that you guys kind of started with that. Um, I'm wondering, can, so give us like, can you give us an overview of what Mixtros is? We have a little bit of the backstory now. Can you tell us what it is? Yeah. So um, one of my favorite ways to explain Mixtros um, today, and this was an evolution, of course. So I look at a company like Slack um, and, you know, of course, Slack is the messaging app that is used at so many different organizations today. And what I think is interesting about Slack is they're not selling messaging. That's not what they're selling. They are selling being very efficient. They're, uh, they're, they're selling efficiency and being, um, you know, and connecting organizations, empowering information, empowering employees to share information quickly in a way that is, you know, beautiful and graceful and all that. That's what Slack is selling. Similarly, Mixtros, when you look at it, it is a tool that takes people from their phone to face-to-face -to -face in real time. That increases engagement and collects data. And so what I'm selling you is the potential of a more connected workforce, uh, a workforce where synergies are uncovered, um, a workforce where there is open dialogue, that sort of thing. So I am really um, a proactive tool, you know, across our main verticals, which is enterprise and education. So the way Mixtros works, and I think using the use case of college um, is a good one because most people can relate to, you know, high school, college, some sort of schooling. So at a certain point when you start school, there's like an orientation. And so mm -hmm. one of our quickest ways to get into a university system is for Mixtros to be used during freshman orientation. And the way that this works is, Students will come into one of their orientation sessions. They will launch the Mixtros app and they get a nice branded feel. It feels like the app belongs to the school. Um, they join the mix, as we call it, and they quickly fill out a virtual name tab, which is name, email address, and snapping a selfie. They then answer 10 questions inside of the app that have been customized by the university ahead of time. And this is really where the magic of Mixtros lies. Those 10 questions can be anything that the university wants. So if they um, ask very smart questions, they are able to derive very valuable data. And I'll give an example of that in a moment. So the student does that and it takes them about, you know, students are fast these days. So that, that whole thing might take them two minutes. And when they're done, they reach a countdown clock. And so while they're going through whatever this orientation session is about, um, when it's time for them to like get together and network, let's say, all the students at the same time will get a push notification to their phone. It will then show them of the students there, who they've been matched with and where they're going to meet that group of people right then. So then all the students get up, they go to their grouping, and then this magical phenomenon happens. The volume in the room increases significantly because you have all these connections happening all at once. I love seeing it every time it happens. And then all of the data that's been collected from those survey style questions that were asked inside of the app, it is immediately available to the school so they can see exactly what their, who their students are and what they care about instead of what they think. So some of the questions that our universities will ask are things like, you know, I picked this school because of what? And, you know, they give them five answers. You know, one of the schools we work with, it was overwhelmingly that students picked the school because of career opportunities post-grad. That's great information that that school can share with their career services department. Like, wow, this is something that's really attracting students here. And here's the data that supports that. We should pour more money here or whatever the case is. But the whole thing with this is 
Mixtros is a tool that connects students on campus. We know that when students feel connected on campus, and this is really exactly the same for employees, they're more likely to progress, retain, and graduate. And schools that can make data-based decisions, they perform better. So Mixtros is a win-win like that. So we have really moved networking into the digital age where it belongs. Right now, this kind of work is still done by hand. You know, students are getting put into groups for orientations, for class, whatever, and it's kind of done in an antiquated way. You know, you take an alphabetized list of students and count off by 10 and that's it. And we knew that there was a smarter way to go about doing this because when you can give people just, you know, one piece of um, familiarity with one another, they're just more likely to connect. And the last thing I'll say, Mixtros is the, it's, let's, let's take this use case I'm about to say. So Mixtros is the difference between this and that with what I'm about to say. So imagine mm -hmm. that you are a woman and you're in a parking garage and it's late at night and you have to take an elevator. You get on the elevator and the doors open and let's say that there's like a big burly man in there. He's all like tatted up and he's kind of intimidating for you. So if I got on that elevator, I would get on it. I would turn around and I'd be like, please don't let anything happen to me. However, if that same scenario happens and the elevator doors open and it's that same guy, but he has a Cleveland Cavaliers hat on, I'm going to be like, yo, man, what's up? How are you? Because now... <laughs> we have we have something in common we have a tie that binds it changes that whole situation that is literally what mixtures does plus data <laughs> i like that i like that and uh, the metaphor i'm wondering um the analogy do you um do you have to so with a tool like this one of my um my first thoughts as you know as a founder is you there's certain genres or industries where you have to kind of come at the education component of the pitch more heavily than others. You know, you mm -hmm. don't have to pitch a deodorant as much as you would say like this tool because it's so useful, but the utility of it because it's boundless feels like, do you guys have to sit down and coach universities or schools um, in how to develop their question composition so that they can glean pieces of useful information? Do you do you do any of that kind of preemptive education before introducing Mixtros to universities? I would say, you know, our, um, our customer success is really, we're really in depth with it because we recognize that in implementing a tool like Mixtros, you're going to ask people, you know, be it students, employees, whatever, you're going to ask them to rethink the way that they have done something for a long time. So, you know, it's going to be a bit of buy-in and whatnot. But what we find is after they run that first mix, people lean into the opportunity because they're usually delighted that they have met someone who is quote unquote like them for whatever reason. So, um, so that I would say for sure. Um, but the other thing is we, and this is something that happens over time as an entrepreneur, you realize that you cannot boil the ocean. And so you really have to get narrow on who your customer is. So when I'm looking at schools, I am looking at schools on um, the extreme ends of the bell curve. So schools that come to us, you know, it could be schools that have just experienced a crisis, like where, you know, perhaps students have done something in blackface or something like that. Then they're reaching out to us so they can put in DNI programming into the school. So that's one extreme case. Then on the other extreme, I have schools that are um, like that are probably on like the Princeton Review's most um, innovative campuses. Like we've worked with Georgia Tech, we've worked with Ole Miss, we've worked with schools in Alabama. 
um, you know, those schools are schools that are just always looking for what's next. They're always thinking, how can we improve, improve from where we are? And with those schools, they're my favorite kind of customer because there's very little explanation I have to do with mixed roads. They understand the power of engagement. They understand that when you have a student that's engaged on campus, they will progress, retain, and graduate. So I don't really have to do, it's like a very light lift for me, that, let's say. And then all those schools that kind of fall in between, like they'll trickle into me like as they're hearing about mixed roads, but those aren't the ones that we're actively going after. I'm looking for those schools on either end of that bell curve. Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like the, um, the areas and the populations that you guys are mainly looking at or have in the beginning are universities. Do you see um, with this, this round of funding or the next, do you see um, branching out into other industries or are you going to stay tight with the kind of the academics university system? So actually, um, academics, I would say, is our second largest market. Our first largest market is actually enterprises. So enterprises with 500 or more employees, that is a huge sweet spot for us because those human resources folks understand that, um, you know, when you cr increase in um, engagement points within the enterprise, that really hits bottom line profitability because the more positive your employees feel about their workplace, they're more productive, there's less absenteeism, safety incidents go down, et cetera, and so on. All those factors lead to profitability. So, you know, looking at big enterprises, like we've done work from everybody from Deloitte to Alabama Power, for example. So, you know, in, inside of those enterprises, you know, our easiest entry point, I would definitely say is somewhere in HR, but certainly, you know, diversity inclusion, if they have a meeting and events department inside of the enterprise, huge hit there, because, you know, there, we can do everything from when you have like a, a meeting where you have paid the money as the enterprise to bring in your employees from north, south, east, and west, what we know happens, like sociology backs this up, is if you bring in employees from all areas of the country, they will automatically segregate themselves. Like people from the west will stay with the west, east will right. stay with east, and that's not what you want. You really need those people to be mixed up. So again, that synergy becomes unlocked. So Mixtros helps there. You know, when you're talking about diversity and inclusion programming, you know, they say if you build it, they will come. I'm like, 100%, they'll come, but they will not network. And so that's where Mixtros <laughs> plays a key role in this. And another one of our customers' favorite use cases is using Mixtros to facilitate luncheon or dinner seating because we're sending a set number of people to a set location. So where seating charts become a hot mess because somebody is trying to do that by hand, Mixtros can do that in seconds. Yeah, clever. Sounds like a, a good wedding. Um, um, people have reached out to us for weddings. I was just going to say, <laughs> I say feel that. like the utility is, is going to be just exponential. You know, there's just so many um, social environments that this can be kind of tweaked and applied to. What are you guys looking at for the next three years with scaling and expansion? Um, speaking of like reaching into other industries and things like that, what do you foresee on your horizon? Sure. So, you know, I think as we look, so realistically, 2019 has been the first year of real business because in, at the end of 2018, our business, uh, we were able to complete a massive round of pre-seed funding, um, just over a million dollars, uh, which was exciting. At that point, my mother and I became the 37th and 38th Black females to ever raise a million dollars or, or more. Um, 
for a startup in the U.S., which that number makes me cringe because like how in the world are we still in double digits? It's a little crazy. Um, So I'm proud of that. And it also makes me cringe. Um, But after raising that money, basically what we were able to do is take a business that was totally working in concept, but it wasn't really functioning like a business. Mixed Rose was built on hustle and it was running on hustle. And we had to go back and put process where there was none. So today there are processes behind how Mixed Rose is working. And our business has continued to grow over the course of this year. We're eyeing opening another round of funding um, as we look to Q1 in the new year here. Um, And that is, again, so we can pour some more gasoline on what we know is working in mixed rows. But I mean, realistically, as I look forward, you know, there are um, enhancements to the software that are coming, including we are currently app-based, mixed rows is, um, you know, both on iPhone and Android. But in future, we also want to have a web version of Mixtros, so mm-hmm. that will not require a download. Specifically, when we're working with like our customers who are doing one-off events, like conferences and this kind of thing, that um, include that continues to reduce friction for the product. Um, so those sorts of things, but also bringing um, on our team members full time. That is something we will do with this next round of funding. We were very smart, I would say, with this million dollars. With my mom having an HR background, I don't know that I mentioned that. My mom is a 25 year plus veteran in human resources. Um, You know, she has been working for Fortune 5 and 100 companies over the course of her career. She led a global HR transformation for uh, like over 100,000 employees. So she's no joke. And so she, you know, HR is something that's kind of, you know, forgotten in the startup world because everybody is it's like the wild wild west out there but our yeah. company's different because my mom had that expertise so most of the people working with us today like our team they are 1099 employees with this next round of funding we'll look to bring them on full time because we have an awesome team that we've built in Birmingham and also um, some of our team members are in California as well so you know just looking to scale the team that way but then to your point all these other markets the thing about startups like specifically when you're in the early stage the growth stage you really have to be narrow you have to be narrow because you only have so much money and the world is really big and you can't try to chase everyone down but with further scale like you said the wedding industry that becomes a thing another place we love is like the travel industry um if you look at like cruise ships and things like that wouldn't it be great before you got on a cruise ship to be able to know is there another family on this boat like mine like that has kids that will get off at the port stops that we can hang out with i find that like when you're on a vacation like that people meet their favorite people like the night before the, the vacation is over and it's like where were you this whole time and the reason why these vacation brands will buy into that is the more engaged someone is on your property, the more money they're spending. Yeah, absolutely. And the happier the experience, the more likely the return, customership, all of those good things, right? That's right. So, you know, I think that I'm wondering, like seeing how much and, and how well you guys have done things, it feels like you and your mother have like, you, before you even launched this enterprise, you did things so well. Like even this last concept of staying lean and things of that nature, it's like the top, you know, 15 pieces of advice that the best thing a young startup could do. Did you guys have any knowledge about a startup? I mean, you said you were kind of green in the tech world, but in startups in general, had you or your mom, either one of you started? up a business never and we actually have like everyone in our family you know 
is, and I'm going to talk about my mom's side of the family, like all her siblings, they went to college. Like my grandparents, they were like, y'all need to go to college. They paid for college for everybody. And you guys need to get jobs and you need to work yourselves up to those jobs to go as far as you can. That was the goal. Like in our um, immediate like generation of family, we don't have someone who opened a restaurant or anything like that. Like there is no entrepreneurship there. And so my mom and I are really the first to do it. What's amazing is, you know, some of my mom's siblings have gotten behind us, you know, as um, early stage investors and that sort of thing. So that's been awesome. But my mom and I, I would say are really pioneers um, there. And so everything that we've learned, you know, it's come from our friends and family investors are awesome. You know, our friends and family investors, they were really betting on the jockey opposed to the horse. I used to tell them, okay, that's great, but I do believe we're riding sea biscuits, so we should be all right. Um, so, um, you know, uh, they, they, they helped the, our friends and family investors we were able to raise uh, $200,000 with them at a time when, on average, black females starting a business were only raising $36,000, which yeah. is insane to me because um, comparatively, a white male at the same stage was raising $1.3 million. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that in itself was extraordinary. So like, although we didn't have that expertise, like right there at our fingertips, we did have quite a network of people who, um, you know, who gave us their expertise in different things. Like, you know, one of my mom's best friends is a CFO. So she um, advised us, you know, early on on things. So we have just been really, um, I would say, blessed in that way to have these people in our circles who were there early on to fill in the gaps of things we didn't know. I mean, the thing about being a founder is you have to recognize really quick, you have to hire other people who are smarter than you in different areas. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, or to your peril, right? I mean, it, you better find someone who's doing it uh, better than you could. Otherwise, it's, yeah, I agree. It's your detriment. You guys have amazing gut checks. The, the issue needs to be like ironclad because it sounds like yeah. there was a lot of, you know, but even to know who to ask, you know, there's a lot mm -hmm. of the, I'm not even sure who to ask. And then to look through one's, you know, personal Rolodex and find out that you have experts within your own lair and things like that. I think it's, it's just a phenomenal um, example of, you know, being able to self-educate and then um, really reach in, ask the right questions and hire the right people. So given that, and given that you guys are kind of this, this wonderful example of how to do things right, if someone came up to you tomorrow, a woman or a non-binary individual and said, listen, I'm going to, I've, I've had this background in communications and publications. I was this intern to this really incredible sports star. I've done the big city thing um, and I'm going to launch my own startup. I have this idea for a tech thing. I'm going to do it with a family member. What are the top three pieces of advice you would give that individual today? Yeah, you know, and let me just be super clear. There have been potholes and roadblocks and all the things. So like this journey hasn't been without its um, many tears, many I've suffered from a bout of depression during this, which I, as soon as we saw those things like presenting itself, like I got checked. I think that's so important to say because yeah. people don't talk about that sort of thing enough in this journey. My mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, over the course of this journey. And I promise you, it's the way she approached breast cancer. The reason that Briz, uh, Mixed Rose is still here today, because at that point, I was like, you know what, I think I'm good. I'm ready to like, throw in the towel. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. um, you know, so, so I think that's very important. But thinking about advice that I would give someone, I mean, one of the big things is find your spot. 
Nashville for us wasn't the best market for us to be in. When we moved to Birmingham, our business completely changed. So you have to, as an entrepreneur, one of your first jobs is finding an ecosystem that gets you, supports you, feels you, go there and conquer. So that's one. Two, I would say, um, just start. People will come up with all sorts of reasons why they cannot do something. Figure out a reason to just start, whatever that means for you. Is it doing the research to get yourself started? Is it filing for a license? You don't, again, have to boil the ocean when you're starting a business. Take those steps to get you to where you're going. And then um, I, I do think it's really do not um, – people are going to have all kinds of opinions for you. Like people have given us the craziest advice before really take heed to the opinions of those who are up with you in the midnight hour. Like don't put so much weight into those people who just like come in, they're kind of looky lose and, you know, give nonsensical advice. Yeah, absolutely. I love those three pieces. Find your spot, just start and take heed to those that are truly invested in you. That's fantastic. Um, I, we are out of time. I wish we could talk more. And I did want to say that um, I, I, I don't believe that any entrepreneurial journey is without incredible pain and suffering. And um, I think that what you guys have done on paper and um, some of the story points out that, you know, even while you can kind of trudge through, people love to talk about the startup journey. And at the end of it, it's sometimes, you know, when you go to these conferences where you hear the testimonials you think why would anyone do that that every every single person has talked about you know starvation and bankruptcy and all sorts of crazy things and that it's not that it's not without mar but i think that there is also you know there's a rush from successes that we easily can forget um to tell when we tell our story and so i like that you're able to kind of articulate those in and throughout what sounds like has been an incredibly um trying, you know, launch of the company. I think that having those two work in connection with each other makes it reality, right? It makes it, it does. Re real life. It, it, you know, it absolutely does. You know, we've been able to see and do so many extraordinary things. You know, I think, uh, you know, having this partnership with my mom has been cool because, you know, we were really close anyway. I mean, close to the fact that like, sometimes I would talk to her like several times a day when I was in New York and she was in Nashville but this is like a different kind of close because it's, it's really hard as an entrepreneur to like try to explain this journey to someone who's not in it with you. And so I love that whatever happens, good, bad, whatever in the middle, um, my mom, she's usually right there experiencing it with me and vice versa. Absolutely. Well, I want to say thank you so much to meeting with us today, Ashley. Um, it's Ashley Ammon. She is the co-founder and president at Mixtros. You can locate her at mixtros.com. And thank you so much, Ashley, and um, happy wishes for your new year. I'm going to circle back around and see if I can get you and your mom on a podcast in the future um, with 2020. Sounds like a plan to me. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. And for everyone listening, thank you for giving us your time. And until we speak again, remember to always bet on yourself. Slunch.